Welcome to the Walk with the Wise podcast. I'm Matthew Capone, and I'm the pastor at Cheyenne Mountain Presbyterian Church in southwest Colorado Springs. This summer, our community is going through the book of Proverbs together, and the book of Proverbs is a book about wisdom. One of the themes of Proverbs is that wisdom is a community project, a group project. And that means that we need other people to help us become wise. We can't do it on our own. In fact, Proverbs 13 verse 20 tells us that he who walks with the wise grows wise. So my goal with this podcast is to talk with wise people about various topics in the book of Proverbs so that we would grow together in our wisdom. On this episode, I talk with Dr. Zach Eswine. Zach is a husband and a father and the pastor at Riverside Church in St. Louis, Missouri. He's also the director of the preaching program at Covenant Theological Seminary and the author of many books. Now, those things are interesting, uh, but they are not the reason I talked with Zach. Of much greater importance, Zach is a wise man who loves Jesus and has spent an enormous amount of time studying wisdom. On this episode, we talk about how to approach the book of Proverbs, how we can find Jesus in it, that famous Proverbs 31 woman, and how parents can teach wisdom to their children. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Zach Eswine. Hey, Zach. Um, thanks for being with us today. I really appreciate just the gift of your time and being willing to share your wisdom with us. Thanks a lot, man. It's really good to be with you and uh, a pleasure to, to be involved in this small way with the people that you pray for and care about and serve. It's, uh, it's really cool. Thanks a lot for the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as I think about the Proverbs, one of my favorite Proverbs is Proverbs 13, verse 20, which tells us whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. So my goal is just to walk with wise people. And it's one of my goals in life and, and leadership and even in this series to model that and show, hey, I don't have all the wisdom, um, but God's given us many people um, who do. And so I'd love to just talk with you about wisdom as a concept in general. What do we need to know? as we look at wisdom and look at the book of Proverbs. So my, just my first question is what's the, what's the one Oh one of wisdom? Like what is it, the essential things that we need to know when we think about that in the Bible? Oh, it's such a good question. Uh, maybe I would say it this way. Wisdom is a way of loving. Wisdom is a path and the path is a path of love. And proverb Proverbs tells us that right up front. Uh, the question is, um, how long will you love being simple? How long will you delight um, in your folly uh, and in your scoffing? So there are three competing paths. There's the naive path, the foolish path, the scoffing path, and the wise path. I would also add the wounded path and that each path expresses, we choose that path because we love things about that path. So the naive person loves their naivete. We love what naivete does for us. Folly. We love what folly does for us. We love foolish things. When we scoff, uh, which is uh, tempted to, tempted to criminal action as a scoffer. We love meanness. We find a pleasure in it. And, uh, and that means that we don't really love 
the characteristics of wisdom. Uh, we, we love these other things more. There's a lot to say about that. So, but that's the first thing I, I'm, that's one of the things I'd say. Wisdom exposes what we love. Yeah, that's good. Let me um, dig down in that a little bit more. That brings up another question I had for you, which is, you know, the Proverbs is filled with all this practical advice about um, being wise and how we spend our money and things that maybe you could find um, on a blog somewhere that is not run by someone who's a Christian or even knows Jesus. So how do we approach that practical wisdom as Christians? Like what, what difference does Jesus make as we think through the book of Proverbs that we're not just looking at it as worldly wisdom, but wisdom from God? Yeah, that's such a good question. Uh, to begin with, um, the Proverbs assumes that we're in God's world, that God created money, God created music, God created riddles and poems and language, and uh, God created emotions, and uh, God created ants and fields and trees. So wisdom begins biblically with the fear of the Lord, which is to say, I recognize I am in God's world. There's every bit of reality is related to him. And uh, if I don't start from that point, I don't have wisdom as the Bible sees it. And so, so what that does then, secondly, is cause me to reintegrate public facts and public life with God. And most of us are in, most of us experience a cultural narrative, a cultural story about the world that tells us that faith is a private thing. Uh, faith is an actual knowledge. It's something that's meaningful to you. And then there's real knowledge, like what, like pandemics and things we experience in the in the real world. Wisdom in the Proverbs sees doesn't see it that way. Uh, we are in God's world, and every practical and beautiful thing about the world has its connection to God. And so, faith and wisdom are real knowledge about the public factual world. And so he reintegrates that. And then thirdly, uh, we can't know what wisdom is apart from the Son of God, Jesus. Uh, it, the New Testament tells us plainly that one, Jesus says, one greater than Solomon has come. And the Apostle Paul and the New Testament writers will tell us that Jesus is our wisdom. He's the one through whom all things were created. And so when we're reading something wise, uh, we are reading something descriptive about the character of God that's revealed in Jesus Christ. And... Uh, and again, that reminds us that God knows how to use an iPad and he understands economics. 
and he knows about he knows he thoroughly the, the expert on uh, biology and physiology and chemistry and zoology mm-hmm. and is God and uh, wisdom assumes that and then a final thought there is uh, because we're in God's world and because God created these things and because when we see wisdom we're seeing him in the public real world it also means that uh, something can be wise uh, something can be said that's wise, even if a person who denies God says it. And so the, when you come to the Proverbs and other aspects of the wisdom literature, uh, the wise uh, will quote anybody. Uh, even a fool who says a true thing, um, the wise will acknowledge what was true about it. And of course, you see that in the New Testament with our Lord Jesus quoting what people have heard said and the apostle Paul who quotes people's poets and things like that. The Proverbs are like that. They'll, they'll quote what's true wherever it's found. Um, even if the person saying it denies the very wisdom that they're trying to uphold. So those are some thoughts about that. No, that's great. Would it be, would it be fair to say, I heard a phrase recently that I've been thinking about with regard to Proverbs, which is that in our world, many people want the kingdom without the king. And I think part of what I'm hearing you say is when we look at the Proverbs, wisdom is something we might observe in a non-Christian or a Christian, but both of them are living in God's world. And so both of them are experiencing in some way, maybe an element of the kingdom. One recognizes the king and the other doesn't. Yes. Yeah, it's like um, it's like um, a person who blogs about the evils of technology. Just they're using technology to give voice to the evils of technology. Uh, because we're in God's world, uh, anything true we're saying um, is available to us because. God created it. And so even if I'm denying the king, I have a voice that can give language uh, that can have a good mind with money or can uh, know how to draw out someone else's inner person. I can do those kinds of things because this is the kind of stuff God created. Uh, And, uh, so even if we're denying the king, we're depending upon the wisdom of the king to do it. Uh, yeah. That brings another question to my mind, which is what would you say to someone who says, you know, they're not a Christian and they say, that's great, Zach, but I can enjoy this wisdom, whether I recognize the source or not. I can have financial wisdom. I can figure out emotional intelligence. What would you say to that person? Yes. Yeah, you can go get them. Uh, you, you really can. You can have a fine and uh, decently happy life uh, with no king. This is the gift of the king to you. But you can really do that. Um, at, which brings us back to what we, where we started. This is actually a question of what you love. 
if you desire money without the one who created money, uh, you're revealing what you love, that you find money lovely, but you really find God unlovely. And that's why I say, okay, you can. Um, if, if you want to live a life of disregard for the king, uh, you can. And, uh, and uh, there was a, a person who came to Jesus in this situation. And Christians know it as the story of the rich young ruler. And uh, that person want, had an affection for Jesus, uh, found Jesus compelling, and said, what do I do, you know, to have God and to have the kingdom and stuff like this? And Jesus was perceptive. He said something to that person he didn't say to other people. He said, uh, sell what you have, give to the poor, which is to say, deal with your money differently than you currently are. And then come be with me. And, uh, and the young man was put in that position of two loves. And he decided to hold on to the money and walk away. And he went away sad. And Jesus was sad too. Jesus loved him. But Jesus let him walk away. And, um, and so there we are in that position. Uh, invited to see the loveliness of the king. Invited to believe that there's a kind of pleasure and satisfaction in that relationship that even money wouldn't compare to. But uh, realizing we actually love money more. So I, I think it's something like that. It's an invitation to explore what we love when we're talking about wisdom. And you really are free and you really can have a decent life um, apart from the king for now. Uh, and that's a heartbreaking story, really, to take a gift from someone and then realize you love the gift, but not the one who gladly gave it. That there's a heartbreak in what that reveals about who we actually are. Yeah, that's a great image. I love the, yeah, the, the gift and the giver. That's helpful. I think if I were to, to sum up um, part of what you've said, it's that, yeah, you can have those things. Um, you can have emotional intelligence and you can have good financial management. Um, and there's something better than that. Yeah. 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 That's and, right. And also those things don't last forever. I think, of, you know, Psalm 73 where the Psalmist envies someone who's prosperous without God. And then at the end he realizes, yeah, but the story doesn't end well. Yeah. Jesus will say, uh, he'll ask the question, uh, why give your life to things that will, uh, a moth can, chew it up and rust can destroy it. Why not give your life to things that last? And, uh, and uh, we're put in that position of grappling with that question. 
yeah. the why the why is like Jesus ask a question like that and cause us to grapple with that. Yeah. Yeah, I know that's helpful. I think that's one of the things that's challenging about reading the Proverbs, but there's a few other things as I've been looking through it that are, are tough. You know, I'm a man um, and you're a man mm-hmm. and the book of Proverbs is written to sons. Mm-hmm. And yet we lead churches that are at least half, if not more than half mm-hmm. women. And so Proverbs, I think sometimes can be a challenging um, book for them. One of my of course, pet peeves is women's and men's devotionals, as if there's parts of the Bible that are written to men and and parts that are written to women, and yet we have um, this book, right? That's at the beginning written to a son. So how how can can women find this book something that's that's life giving and helpful for them, even in that that context? Yeah, that's such a a tender, painful question, really, because uh, you know if, if we're if this is just one more book and one, one more God talker that uses religion to leverage power uh, over women, who wants to be a part of that? Uh, no, I don't. Um, and so that question matters so much. And there's a lot to say, but there's a couple clues that are helpful. Uh, one is that uh, wisdom is personified as a woman. And so that's intriguing. Uh, she. And so uh, wisdom isn't cast as male. Wisdom is cast as female. And uh, the, the dignity of who, that puts every son, that puts uh, each of them, the, the men in the community in the position of having to uh, honor wisdom uh, not pictured as a king, not pictured as a, a male warrior, you know, uh, but pictured as a woman. And the second, the second thing is that um, uh, like Proverbs 31 that's written, you know, about the wise woman and I think it's Proverbs one twelve that's written about the wise man, or uh, Psalm one twelve. Sorry, uh, but Proverbs thirty one. We're just told this is the this wisdom came came from that that wise man's mother, and so it isn't the case that we're not being taught by women uh, in that way that we we don't learn wisdom from women. I think the third thing is, is uh, say in, in Proverbs 7, we're, we're shown a, a, a woman tempting a man into adultery. And I think we feel like, come on, you know, why don't you show the man uh, tempting the woman, you know? But I think the thing we, that's legitimate, I think, to feel that way, especially from our cultural vantage point. But if we could somehow step back into their shoes in some way, uh, uh, it's it's both. It uh, it the man is a, uh, a senseless man. I, I saw a man lacking sense, and now what you see is this 
this dialogue between uh, a woman and a man as human beings who are losing their way. They're following a path of naivete. Uh, they're going to give themselves to something that looks pleasing. They don't realize that death is there. And, uh, and so those are three, three um, small clues about that um, to, to begin, you know, to begin to grapple with that hard and good question. Yeah, no, that's, that's helpful, Zach. I think it's part of what I'm, what I'm taking away is the book of Proverbs shows foolish and wise people and shows foolish men and foolish women. And it also shows wise men and wise women. Yes. That it's not a gender that has a monopoly on wisdom. That's right. It is true that at the time, uh, the firstborn male would have been the one, uh, who is the, the one that's going to inherit the farm or inherit the whatever. And so that the, uh, the educational point of view is, is centered there. That's true. We grapple with that, but the breadth of the Proverbs aren't male centered there. This, this is how that firstborn son is meant to relate to men and women, to other human beings. Um, and it's not just meant for the firstborn son. It's like a letter being written, um, but it's read by the whole community. It's meant yeah. for everyone. It's a public letter. Yeah, which also puts that firstborn son into a, po a position of accountability. Because everyone's reading what that son is supposed to learn, which means that that person is now accountable to the women and men in that community who also now know it's the, the, the fact that it's a, a letter in a book like this is you is different in the sense that uh, it doesn't privilege the male, that uh, firstborn son's um, knowledge. Uh, it's, it's written in such a way that that person will access the knowledge, but because it's made public, it's made transparent. Everybody knows <laughs> that uh, even if someone is the firstborn son in that context, if they're a fool or if they're naive or if they're a scoffer, they're meant, they're meant to be uh, discerned and resisted accordingly. And so the Apostle Paul's letters are like this too. Um, we, we have some similar questions, maybe harder questions for Paul. But one of the things is, is uh, these letters are public, transparent. Everybody hears them. Yeah. Yeah. So the book of Proverbs doesn't increase male power necessarily, it increases male accountability. It does. Um, because wisdom, wisdom is uh, <clears throat> available to everyone. And so the one in power now has to know that. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. Uh, yeah, thanks for that, Zach. Let me dig in one more question on that. Um, I, Proverbs 31, you brought up, and I know many women feel um, discouraged rather than encouraged by that chapter. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you can give us some wisdom about how to read that. Yes. Yeah, we can be discouraged uh, 
on the one hand because it just seems like this lady is awesome. I mean, she, she is, uh, she works a full-time job. She cares for uh, kids. Uh, she minds the farm. She is uh, awesome. At sa- she's a great salesman. Uh, she's a savvy businesswoman. Uh, and everyone calls her blessed. She's the wife of an elder, which w- would have meant she's in a, a position of privilege. It's just all that. And you think, who can measure up to that? And um, what uh, and, and what can add to that is sometimes church cultures uh, put that kind of pressure. And then outside of the church culture, it's a thing we wrestle with that a, a, a woman working full time might still be the one who's making all the meals, doing all the laundry, doing and um, and. And, and we can think, Ben, that doesn't seem right. Shouldn't, shouldn't other people pitch in, <laughs> you know? So for all those reasons, we come to Proverbs 31. It's like, what is going on? And I think it's helpful to, to, to remind ourselves that this is a, a this is a, um, this is a description of everything um, admirable, uh, about a woman it's a big picture description and so what it does is it honors the woman who's working uh, inside and outside of the home with her trade and her skill it it honors the woman who's creative as well as the one who's practically functional it it order it honors uh, these different aspects of who a woman is and so it's not meant to say you are to be all of these things it's meant to say when you see these qualities in a woman uh, you are to praise them Um, a woman who is worthy of praise and here here are the various uh, themes so she's the composite woman It, it this it's not an actual woman and this was who she was it's a poetic composite of the the wisdom qualities that you would that you will encounter in a woman and just like some of us have one spiritual gift and not another a certain temperament and not another and we need each other to see the whole picture so when you look at that proverbs 31 woman you'll see parts of yourself in her and you'll learn from that that you are to be praised for that. Uh, and then you'll see the parts where you're not. And that's a reminder that this is a community book. And these are the things that you praise in others and depend upon from others. And so there's a starting place for Proverbs. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's helpful. Thanks, Zach. I love your phrase about it being a community book. <laughs> this is something we do together and it's not just god's word to you individually but it's god's word to his people as a community yeah i know we're i want to be really respectful of your time and so you please let me know if you have to go the the final question i have for you is you know we have many families in our congregation and i'm wondering you know how can we think through teaching wisdom to our kids i know that you 
are a father of, of older children. And I know you're a father of also a very, very young child. And so you have a lot of experience and I'm wondering how you would, how you as a parent have thought through talking about and teaching wisdom to your children. Well, that's a great question. And one of the, uh, the first thing that it will do is give us a, a shift in the way we view knowledge. And so for many of us, our strength is uh, if we're going to teach our kids something, we're going to teach them a catechism or we're going to teach them uh, a series of, you know, things to believe uh, to make sure that they're doctrinally sound and believing the right things. The Proverbs uh, are coming at the way we relate to the world. And uh, because of that, the sages use riddles and proverbs and poetry uh, and metaphor. And so uh, the wonderful thing about that is that um, it will disrupt us. We'll wonder if we're teaching anything. But a proverb's meant to linger with you. And so one of the things I'll do, say, with um, uh, with our 16-year-old right now, but we probably started this with when, um, oh, I don't even know, early, young, uh, four years old, six years old, I don't even remember. But we just, I would look for proverbs that show imagery. Uh, the the like the one who tries to help uh, by taking your coat taking your coat when it's cold and then there it is uh, and now you think what a what what's that picture like what what's it like when it's cold and then they'll talk about what well, you know when it's cold and then what does a coat do it keeps us warm. What happens if you take the coat off when you're cold? You get colder, doesn't help at all. And what happens is the imagery now becomes something you're talking about. And this is what it's like when a fool tries to help. It's like they take your coat when it's cold or they pour vinegar in your soda, you know. Uh, and so letting a proverb sit and reflecting on the imagery. The Lord Jesus does this. Uh, you, you come to the Lord Jesus and you say, I'll follow you wherever you go. And then he turns and looks at you and says, <laughs> foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And now he's not saying anything else. Everyone's watching you, and he's not going to fill the silence. So you have to start thinking, okay, what's, what's the imagery of fox, a den, shelter, security? What's he telling me? Is he telling me he can't promise me security? Is he telling me he can't promise me shelter? Why is he telling me that? I just told him I'd go anywhere with him. Why is he telling me, hold up, I can't promise you these things? Is he, and, and you realize that the, the metaphor and the imagery that Jesus used and the time he gave to let it linger uh, does its work inside a person. So reading Proverbs, one a day, uh, letting the metaphor 
linger, which means you might not know if you're getting the proverb immediately. It'll sink in over time. Another thing you can do personally is, you know, old ancient Christians would just read one chapter a day because there are 31 chapters in Proverbs. So one chapter a day every month uh, in order to grow in wisdom. A final thought here is that uh, Proverbs are set uh, into the context of Ecclesiastes and Job, and that's very, very important to remember because uh, Proverbs without Ecclesiastes and without Job can actually be used to hurt people. Uh, we can use true Proverbs in a naive way. And so the Proverbs will basically say, uh, uh, do the right things and God will bless you. And then on either side of that, you have Job, and you have Ecclesiastes that show you people who did all the right things and suffered. And so it reminds us that the, the Proverbs are, uh, are truths um, um, more than promises, or they're truths but not contracts, um, something like that. How do you find yourself talking out just up beyond just the images? How do you find yourself talking with your kids about wisdom? What do those conversations look like? Well, um, because you're in God's world, uh, wisdom is just a, a life. You're in, you're in, uh, you're in all, all the folly and naivete that's in my life. My kids see it on display. No matter what I say, they're seeing that. And so, as we're growing uh, together, um, when, they, when they hear me say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, they're learning wisdom. Uh, when uh, they experience an open posture from me, open to reason, impartial, uh, as James describes what wisdom is like, rather than a reactive um, growling lion presence, they're experiencing wisdom. Uh, when when um, they experience us saying, you know, don't touch the hot stove, they're experiencing wisdom because uh, the, the, the naive sees danger and goes on and suffers for it, the Proverbs say. The wise sees danger and takes precautions. We could meditate on that during this time for other reasons, but, so as our kids see us, just wisdom is humble. As they see our arrogance deflating and growing into humility, they're seeing wisdom. Wisdom listens. Wisdom doesn't presume to answer a question before it's heard the question. So when they experience that, uh, wisdom assumes that good things happen uh, over long periods of time through slow, mostly overlooked actions. As they experience that, they're experiencing wisdom. And then when you're watching... Um, if you're watching, I don't even know, 
a little baby bum. I don't even know. You're watching some show together, uh, American Idol, or you're watching um, The Bachelor, or you're watching um, The Office, or whatever it is. You, you realize that this is not separate from your life of faith now. It's in front of you, and wisdom discerns. What do I take from this as enjoyable, uh, as wise, uh, enjoyable? Mm. And what do I discern that's no good? And so I don't know, you know, I'll just say this and, and you can send the letters to me because um, we all differ on how we do this. But in a situation with one of our, our kids who was watching a show that we didn't think um, we'd, we'd want to watch. And we realized I'm in a blended family. And so our, our, our child was going to watch that show, whatever, whatever we said. Um, and so we decided to watch that show together. And, and what that became was uh, the question, what could we say was good and enjoyable about this episode? And, and what could we see that we would want to discern as naive or foolish in this episode. And what that does is create a conversation uh, that's not just grumpy. The wisdom enjoys what's good, and we get to see what's good. But we also now are discerning all of life in God's world. So those are some thoughts about that. Yeah, that's that's really helpful, Zach. It sounds like you're saying wisdom is taught, but it's also caught. Yeah. And we can't, one of the primary ways we teach our children wisdom is by growing in wisdom ourselves. Yeah, that was the opening verse that you had said. Um, Hang with yeah. the wise and you learn the wise. Yeah, he who walks with the wise grows wise. Well, if our kids are walking with us, we hope and pray that we're wise. Yeah, and so you could say like... Uh, you, if you would like to learn patience, I could teach you a Bible study on patience, or you can volunteer in the children's ministry, uh, you know, on a Sunday morning. And both are necessary. And you will encounter what impatience is uh, and what patience is. Uh, because when you hang with the wise, you learn wisdom. And the, the, the proverb flips to, you know, don't hang around with an angry man lest you learn his ways. or um, the companion of fools suffers harm. Yeah. That's, yep. That's how that proverb ends. So I just read you the first part, right? Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. That's the second half. Yeah. And so we're, we're living in the world with our kids and it sounds like you, part of what you do is you're very engaged relationally. It's, it's helpful to read the Proverbs, you know, one chapter. I actually did that growing up in my household. We read the chapter of the day yeah. um, for many years. But you're also living out wisdom and talking about wisdom as it comes up. Yeah, because like you said, it's a community all of life book. And here's something I would say. If you, if you feel like you're losing hope, uh, um, the Proverbs talk like it talks like people have been there. So particularly when it describes folly, it, it, like whether it's uh, the wise or foolish view of alcohol or the 
wise or foolish view of of temptate of sex or or money uh you get the sense that people have been there they they know what this is and uh when we encounter wisdom and we see how much how foolish and naive we've been uh that's what leads us to christ that's what leads us to true wisdom is to say oh we we wisdom begins to name things as they are and i get to say i have been a fool i have been naive and that humility is the first place is where wisdom is taking root and i need one wiser than myself uh and when christ died for me he applied all his wisdom he took all my folly and all my all my naivete and all my scoffing onto himself and he lavished upon me and clothed me with all his wisdom and this is my hope uh that uh when i see my own folly all is not lost it doesn't have the last word in my life i am foolish but it's not the truest thing about me anymore you know because jesus is my savior my shepherd my lord i love that i want to stomp my foot on a couple of things that you said one is that um we don't just teach our kids about wisdom by pointing to ourselves as wise but we can actually teach them about wisdom by telling them about our mistakes. Yes. Hey, I've made this mistake and this is where I was foolish. And I really don't want you to experience the same thing, which has a a power to it because it removes the the self-righteousness and the here I am, you know, I have all the answers. No, I've actually, I have all the mistakes and let me share them with you. Yes. Yeah. And that way our anger turns to sadness. We understand why they would think this is attractive or, meaningful because we ourselves did yeah and um and we talk like those who know and uh who need uh, a savior and then we look for the same savior in the lives of our kids in this way and by naming what's wrong we're breaking the spell you know if i say uh if i mishandle anger all the time and i never say I'm sorry for it. And I, and I defend it all the time and I act like this is right. And you should never confront me on it. Then what I'm passing on in my home is a foolish view of anger. Yeah. Uh, Folly demands that no one be wise. Uh, And it doesn't love wisdom, but contrast that with a person who's mishandling anger and then they begin to name it. Wow, that was wrong. That was foolish. That's not how Jesus would do it. Then our, our children begin to learn the, the, the difference. They experienced this. Then they heard it named, not, not defended, but named as wrong. Yeah. In its place, a picture of something else that we're, we're asking God to work in our family. And um, that, that, frees us from the naive view that we could be perfect and uh, enables us to, to see that even our weakness can be used when it's named clearly to help our kids learn wisdom. Yeah. I, yeah, I love that, Zach. I, 
I'm going to connect that back to your comment a, a while ago about it being a community book. You could say, Hey, this is a community book and it's a powerful and, and beautiful thing. When a husband or a father says to his family, Hey, this is what the Bible teaches. And I've fallen short of that. God points us to something better. And I want to ask for forgiveness. That's a more powerful move. And it's a, it's more powerful to say, Hey, here's the ways that I, as your father or your mother have made mistakes in my sexual life. And here's how it's affected me. And man, I really don't want you to have to suffer through that as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I just love the way, what you said earlier about Jesus covering our folly. It's a point, a place to point our children to Jesus because we can say, Hey, here's the mistakes I've made. And man, I'm so grateful that Jesus died for me and that he's covered that and he'll cover that for you too. That's a much more powerful statement coming out of our weakness than we could make out of our strength. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's the gospel. Yeah. That's the good yeah. news. Yeah, that's encouraging. There's, there's hope for us in our foolishness. Mm-hmm. And there's hope for our kids in our foolishness too, if we're willing to, to admit it and, yeah. and seek to grow. That hope isn't lost. That's right. Our folly, our naivete doesn't have to have the last word in our life. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. Well, Zach, I've just, yeah, thank you for your time. I've really been encouraged by this and I just am grateful for you sharing your wisdom and letting us walk with the wise um, by walking with you and, um, and learning from that. So thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for the conversation. It's been encouraging to me. Yeah, I'm glad.